Good afternoon, Sunday Scoop Classic listeners. I'm your host, Marcia. Our topic for today is God's Promises to David. So sit back and relax and enjoy the biblical journey. Some You can have some coffee or tea, bring a pen, paper, and a Bible if you would like to take some notes. Our lesson text comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 4 through 16. The related scriptures, 1 Chronicles 17, verses 1 through 15, 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13, Psalms 89, verse 1 through 5, 1 Kings 8, chapter 8, verses 12 through 26, and Psalms 132, verses 1 through 18. The time is about 1000 B.C., and the place is Jerusalem. Our golden text, He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of this kingdom forever. So in the introduction for this week, the Bible refers to many convents. Some of them are purely human agreements, but others are between God and men. For instance, the convent God made with Noah was a divine commitment to all mankind that he would never again destroy earth inhabitant with a flood. And you can see that in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, and also in Genesis 9, verse 17. God's convent to Abraham promised to multiply his descendants and give them the land of Canaan for their own. And you can see that all in chapter 15, Genesis chapter 15. The convent of the Lord or the Mosaic convent given to Israel at Mount Sinai prescribed a way of life for that nation and promised blessings in return for obedience. And you can find that in Exodus 19, verses 3 to 8. This convent was renewed just before the Israelites entered the promised land. This week's lessons introduces us to still another convent, one consistent of God's prophecy to David concerning his royal line. Although the convent was made with only one person, its provisions have impacted the entire history of Israel and the, ter- and the church and it will affect the pathetic future as well. So the lesson background begins of David's reign was filled with wars against Israel's most immediate threats. The stronghold of Jerusalem was taken from the Jebedites and David made it his capital. And you can find that in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. He also he also twice defeated the Philistines, which you could see that in Second Samuel five verse seventeen to twenty five. Another endeavor of David was to return the Ark of the Covenant to the heart of the kingdom. After one attempt that resulted in the death of Uzzah, and you could find that in Second Samuel six verses one through. David finally succeeded in bringing the ark into Jerusalem. There, amid great joy, he established a permanent place for it. And you can find that in 2 Samuel 6, verses 12 through 19. 
Israel now had a central sanctuary, but as the procession came into the city, Malachi, Saul's Michael, Saul's daughter, and David's wife watched from a window and saw him leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she was filled with contempt for him. And you can find that in 2 Samuel 6, verse 16. After David placed the ark inside the tent that he had prepared for it, he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. Then he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and gave a present to everyone, both men and women, consistent of a loaf of bread, some wine, and a cake of raisins. When it was all over and everyone had gone home, David returned to bless his family. And you can find this in Second Samuel 6, verses 17 through 20. Then Michael, David's wife, came out to meet him and shouted in disgust, How glorious the king of Israel looked today. He exposed himself to the girls along the street like a common pervert. David replied, saying, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and his family and who appointed me as the leader of Israel, the the people of the Lord. So I am willing to act like a fool in order to show my joy in the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, but I will be respected by the girls of whom you spoke. And you can find that in Second Samuel 6, verses 22, 21 through 22. And chapter 6 then ends with the statement that Micah was childish throughout her life. Our lesson begins with chapter 7. So, uh, in Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 4, And it came to pass that night that the, Lord, that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, the prophet approved of David's plan to build the Lord, a temple God spake to Nathan, and corrected the hasty counsel he had given to the king. And you can find that in Second Samuel 7, verses 1 through 3. We are told that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan that night, indicating that this revelation from God was during a dream. However, since the passage does not stipulate that it was a dream, it could also have been a night vision. At any rate, it was very clear to Nathan that this revelation was the word of the Lord and would include his unconditional covenant with David. And you could find that in Second Samuel chapter 7 verses 11 through 16 and also in First Chronicles 17, verses 3 through 15. The Lord has spoken in many different ways in history, and you can find that in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 2. It is debatable whether or not God speaks today the same way he did in the past. However, 
we can be sure that God does speak through his written word, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And you can find that in 2 Timothy 3 and 16, 2 Peter 1, verses 20 through 21. Therefore, we should always consult the Bible when making important decisions. It's true that Scripture doesn't always take us take us what tell us what to do in each and every situation and our excuse me and our or circumstances, but our principles in God's word that can guide us and all our decisions, whether great or small. In verse five, go and tell my servant David. Thus said it the Lord, shalt thy build me an house for me to dwell in. God addressed David as my servant, a title that many seem humbling, but prior to this, this title had been given only to a select few as Moses. And you could find that in Numbers twelve and seven and and also in Genesis twenty. 26 and 24. Abraham and Salib, and you can also find that in Numbers 14 and 24. So the word servant is actually a term of honor. The phrase, thus saith the Lord, indicated that this message did not come from any human source. And you can find that in Galatians 1 verse 12. God's first question for David was, Shalt thy build me an house for me to dwell in? This question implies the initiative for building a temple was to come from God himself and no one else. It also implies that if a temple was to be built, David was not the person who would do it. However, as we will see in verse 13, God will was not opposed to a temple being built, only who would build it. In his sovereignty, God had the right to choose the proper person and the proper time for a temple. There were a number of reasons why David couldn't build the Lord a temple. One reason was that God didn't have the need for a temple. He was satisfied with the tabernacle. Second, God already had determined who would build him a temple, and it wasn't David. Third, it wasn't time to build the temple, since Jerusalem could still be invaded in wars. And you could find that in First Kings 5, chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. The proper time would be during Solomon's peaceful reign. The fourth reason why David couldn't build the temple was because he was a man of war who had shed much blood. And you could find that in 1 Chronicles 22, verses 8 through 10. David, like many of us, needed to be reminded that our powerful God doesn't need any human king to accomplish his will and desires. And you could find that in Psalms 50, verses 10 through 12, and Isaiah 44, verse 24. The Bible reveals that God often chooses the most unlikely people to perform his will. And you can find that in 1 Corinthians 1, 
25 through 29. He does this because it brings them greater joy. And you can find that in Isaiah 42 and 8 and Jeremiah 9, 23, Jeremiah 9, verses 23 through 24. And verse 6, whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent in a tabernacle. The Lord pointed out that up until this time, he had been satisfied with the place of worship, a tent that he had designated for himself. God dwells in heaven, but his earthly presence to Israel was shown in the tabernacle, particularly above the Ark of the Covenant. And you could see that in Acts 7, verses 45 through 50. The phrase, since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, is a reference to the almost 435 years between the Exodus and David's reign. During that time, God said he walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. The word walked carries the idea of moving about as the Israelites did. It was also a reminder he was the he was with Israel during her wandering. God's desire to walk and fellowship with man is revealed throughout the Bible beginning at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, and also in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 12. This desire is seen in the incarnation of the Son and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And you can see that in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. The mention of both a tent and a tabernacle does not mean that God lived in two separate places. The tabernacle was a tent that could be set up when Israel was camping and taken down when they were traveling. God had told Moses at Mount Sinai how the tabernacle shall be built. And you can find that in Exodus 25 and 27. Skilled craftsmen followed God's order, and there and before Israel moved on, the tabernacle had been finished and dedicated. And you could find that in Exodus 40, verses 17 through 33. The glory of God filled it and accomplished, accomplished its movements throughout the desert's wanderings. The Ark of the Convent, or the Ark of God, which symbolized God's presence, was in the tabernacle, which was largely a tent both during the 40 years of wandering and after Israel reached Canaan. The first lodging place for the Ark in Canaan was Jigal, which is spelled G-I-L-G-A-L, close to the Jordan. And you can find that in Joshua chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. Eventually, the tabernacle was set up at Shelah, which is spelled 
S-H-I-L-O-H. And you can find that in Joshua 18 and 1. The ark stayed there until the Philistines captured it. David finally had it moved to Jerusalem. And you can find that in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1-19. through 19. But there was still no permanent temple for the Lord. In verse 7, And all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I command to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye not me an house of cedar? Here it appears that God is remanding David for wanting to do something for him that he never asked for. In essence, God was saying, in all the places that I went with Israel and the wilderness, wandering while dwelling in a tent, the tabernacle, I have never once complained to or commanded Israel leaders, the shepherds of my people, and asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar temple? The point is, why should David design what God never ordained? The proper thing to do would be to wait for God's calling and then perform it. And you could find that in Philippians 2 verse 13. It would be better for God to have a tent of his own appointing than a temple of David's own desire. In verse 8, now, therefore, so shalt thy say unto my servant David, Thus said it the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. Again, God addressed David as my servant. As God gave David this special title, he also referred to him in a special way as the Lord of hosts or Lord of armies. This title emphasizes God's sovereignty and omnipotence and omnipotence. Here is a reminder that God had the power to fulfill all he was about to promise to God's people, to the promise of the king. God then reviewed all that he had already done for David. He said, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep. The sheep coat or the sheep fold was usually made of a rough stone forming an enclosure to protect the sheep at night and keep out human and animal intruders. Normally it had no roof. Several flocks could be kept in this pen and one of the sheep herds would guard the door or entrance. In the morning, each shepherd would call out his own sheep, for they would know his voice and go to him. And you could find that in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. During the day, a shepherd would take his sheep to various pastures. Sheep were always led by the shepherd, but here God said that he took the king from following the sheep. This phrase reminds us that shepherds often followed individual, individual sheep 
in order to give special care while the flock grazed. David was also promoted from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel, meaning God's people. Notice God's powerful contrast stressing David's transition from the lowly position of shepherd to a position of great promise as ruler over my people, over Israel. To show the importance of this new position, God emphasized it by calling Israel my people. King David was now privileged to shepherd God's flock. And verse 9, And I was with thee, with, with ever so over thy winters, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name like unto the name of the great men that are in earth. A couple of things are mentioned here. First, God said, I was the three whithersoever thou wentest. God never abandoned his own. And you could see that in Psalms 139, verse 7 through 10, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. He cared for David like a shepherd, and you can find that in Psalms, in Psalms 23 and 1. Second, God said, I have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight. Whether the enemy was the Philistines, the Jebedites, the Amalites, or King Saul, God protected and preserved David while disposing of his enemies. Third, God said that I have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. David's reputation had already grown enormously. And you could find that in 2 Samuel 5, verses 11 through 12. And would continue so that his name would live on as one of the giants of human history. After almost 3,000 years, the name David still appears prominently in Israel's culture and patriotic emblems. Just as God promised the name David has its place among the names of the great men that are in the earth. In verse 10, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. So in this one, as with his earlier convert with Abraham, this convert proclaims benefits for the entire nation. God said that he would appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them. The word plant involves more than the initial sowing or planting. Including in the meaning of the Hebrew verb will plant is the work of establishing what, what, what has been planted. The work of planting and cultivating the nation of Israel is not yet complete. Much work still remains for a future. 
And you can find that in Amos chapter 9, verses 13 through 15, Ezekiel 36, verse 33 through 36. When God plants Israel, they will dwell in a place of their own. This is a reference to all the land promised to Abraham. And you could find that in Genesis 15, verses 18 through 21. Even in Solomon's day, Israel didn't dwell in all this land. So to this day, God promises to Abraham have yet to be completely fulfilled. God also said that Israel would move no more. The Hebrew word for move means to be disquieted or disturbed. And you could find that in 1 Samuel 28, verse 15, Jeremiah 50, verse 34. God promised that Israel's enemies will not again disturb this land. Such events as Hitler's Holocaust will not be repeated. In addition, the Gentile nations here called the children of wickedness will not afflict them anymore as before time. This refers to the time before the judges when the Israelite tribes were in a state of disunity and occasional oppression from surrounding nations. This was as a result of Israel not completely driving out the pagan inhabitants from the promised land. Israel did enjoy security in Solomon's day, but later history has shown that wicked men have mercilessly persecuted David's people, and you could find that in 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. So the promise here that God's people will be planted in their own place and will be free from affliction, no doubt referring to a time still in the future. At that time, the Jews will be regathered to their land from all over the world. They will accept Christ as their Messiah, and they will finally be able to live in peace. And you can find that in Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 25 through 29, Zechariah chapter 10, verses 6 through 12, and Romans 11, 26. The, the final fulfillment of this verse is yet to come. So in verse 11, And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee in house. So in 11, this verse is actually a continuation of verse 10 connecting the fact that one day wicked nations won't afflict the Israelites anymore as they had done since Israel had become had become a people which also included, as God said, the time that I command judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies. 
and essence, God was saying that the time will come when Israel will no longer be bothered or harmed by other nations like they had been since its beginning, right up to the present time when they were enjoying peace or rest from all thine enemies. Nathan went on to say, Also the Lord telleth that he will make thee in house. In other words, in addition to Israel, some day being free from all its enemies, the Lord also declared to David that he will make in house a royal dynasty for him. We know that the person who is the is the fulfillment of this prophecy of a continuous David royalty, David royal dynasty is the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 12, and when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy vows, and I will establish his kingdom. The phrase, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, is an Old Testament way of describing physical death. God told David that when he died and was buried with thy father or his ancestors, he would set up thy seed after thee. In other words, when David died, God would securely install David's heir as king, who was yet to be born. The child would proceed out of thy vows, which is David's vows, meaning that the child would come from David's own body. This also indicated to David that the child who would succeed him as king was not one of his present sons. David had a bunch of children, as many as 19 sons, and you could find that in First Chronicles chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Of, cor- of course, the unnamed heir in this verse was, would be Solomon, and you could find that in First Kings 2 and First Kings 2, 10 through 12. It's possible that David may have thought that God was speaking about Absalom, his oldest son, because Solomon had not been born yet. However, the use of the word shall proceed refers to a future time and therefore another son. God said that he would establish his kingdom, meaning Solomon. This has a twofold fulfillment. This prophecy was partially fulfilled in a marvelous way during Solomon's reign, for Israel was never as large, wealthy, and renowned as it was under Solomon. However, the complete and eternal fulfillment is yet to come, as we will see in the next verse. As previously noted, had many sons, and no doubt he wrote about how he felt about them in Psalms 125, verse 5, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, 
but they shall speak with the enemies and the gate. Some of them caused him much grief, like Amon, Absalom, and Adnajah. And we do not read that any of them imitated David's pity or devotion except Solomon, and even he came far short of it. One of them which Bathsheba bore to him, David called Nathan, probably in honor of Nathan, the prophet who reproved him for his son, for his sin with Bathsheba. And you could see that in Second Samuel 11, verse 1 through 5, and also, I mean, Second Samuel 11, verses 1 through 15, and also verses 22 through 24. And it wasn't instrumental to bring him to repentance. And you could see that in Second Samuel 12, verse 1 through 13. It seems that David loved Nathan, the prophet, as long as he lived. It is wise to esteem those to bear our best friends who deal faithfully with us. From this son of David, Nathan, our Lord Jesus, was a descendant. And you could find that in Luke 3, verse 31. David also had two sons named Elithamus and two named Eliphaz. So Elithamus is spelled E-L-I-S-H-A-M-A-N. S and Elizabeth is spelled E-L-I-P-H-E-L-E-T-S. And you can find that in First Chronicles chapter 3, verses 6 and verse 8. We can't be sure, but David probably named his two later sons after the two former sons because they may have been dead. David also had many concubines, but their children are not named. And you could find that in First Chronicles chapter 3 and 9. All of David's sons, Solomon was chosen to succeed him as king, certainly not for any personal merit. Solomon may have achieved his wisdom because, but because of the Lord's grace. And 13, he shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The pronoun he here refers to Solomon, David's son, who God said, shall build an house for my name, meaning a place where God's name will be honored and glorified. The house refers to the first temple that Solomon would build. The temple was, in fact, filled with the glory of God when it was completed. And you could find that in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 2-3. through The building of the temple is described in 1 Kings chapter 6. It took Solomon seven years to complete it. And the last part of this verse God also said, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, meaning Solomon's. This appears to indicate that there would always be a descendant of David's ruling over all Israel. 
However, history teaches us that after Solomon died, the nation of Israel was divided into the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. Each, na each nation, each nation had its own king. And you can find that in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 16 through 20. David's descendants continued to rule the southern kingdom of Judah and to Jeconiah, and that is spelled J-E-C-O-N-I-A-H. And Jeconiah was taken into captivity by the Babylons, and you can find that in Jeremiah 24, verse 1. He was the last in David's line to sit on the throne, ruling only over Judah. There have been no kings of Israel from the David line since the Babylonian captivity in 586 B.C. Taking all of this into account, it would seem that this prophecy has gone unfulfilled. However, the, the term throne here does not refer to a physical throne, but to the authority to rule. The Hebrew word translated throne simply means a seat of honor. Therefore, the expression establish the throne of his kingdom forever means that the David authority and kingdom rule over Israel shall never be taken from David's descendants. Regardless of how many kings rule over Israel, the right to rule will never be transferred to another family, and it is designed for eternity. Although there is no David king in Israel now, the throne will return to David's seed when Jesus returned to set up his millennial reign on earth. At that time, the throne will be restored to the David line, never to end, and you could find that in Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10, and Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14, and also in Revelations 19, verses 11 through 16. And verse 14, I will be no... I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. Hmm. The Lord declared that he would have a father-son relationship with David's heir. As a result of his father-son relationship, the new king would always call on Dave, on God for help, but he was never to think that his position was so grand that Jehovah would not bring judgment against him. Therefore, the Lord said, if he commit iniquity, I would chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. In other words, God told David that he would chasten or discipline Solomon, his heir, if the, com if the committed iniquity or sin. He would chastise David's heir with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. This means that God would use other 
nations to discipline Solomon when the need arose. The promised son would be the one who would build the temple. He would not be a perfect ruler, and for his sins, he would be chastised by God through human means. And you could find that in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 14 through 27. In verse 15, But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, Saul whom I put away before thee. When divine chastisement or discipline occurs, it doesn't mean that God withdraws his mercy. Under the law, David deserved to die for his many sins, among which were adultery and murder. And you could find that in Leviticus 20, verse 10, and also in Numbers 35, verses 30 through 31. Yet God extended mercy to him. And you could find that in Psalms 51, verse 1. Likewise, God said that he would have mercy on Solomon when he sinned. As things turned out, divine discipline for Solomon was apparently minimal, at least during his reign, for, king, for his kingdom flourished with little intimidation or damage done by foreign nations. God compared how he would deal with Solomon's sin with how he would, had dealt with Saul's sin. God said he wouldn't take his mercy away from Solomon. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. King Saul's death, as recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 31, was ghastly and tragic. Although Solomon began his reign, well, he declined spiritually toward the end of his life under the influence of his many wives. And you can find that in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17, 1 Kings 11, verses 1 through 13. But he had a peaceful end. And you can see that in 1 Kings 11, verses 41 through 43, 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verses 29 through 31. But Solomon didn't avoid discipline, for God punished him in an emotional way by letting him know that his kingdom would be split following his death. And you could find that in 1 Kings 11, verses 1 through 13. And in verse 16, And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. God, through the prophet Nathan, now gave David a promise. This promise is referred to as a David covenant. It, it was made between God and David looking ahead to the kingly rule of Christ. During the millennium, it is an unconditional convent in the, S, in the sense that it depended only on the faithfulness of God for fulfillment. It was not based on David's continued obedience to the Lord, 
God will fulfill his covenant whether David obeyed him or not. It was essential for David to agree to the covenant with God. But if David or his descendants disobeyed him after the initial agreement, the covenant would still remain in force. But they would suffer God's discipline. Thine house, which refers to David's seed, would be a dynasty and both his kingdom established by God for David as well as as the throne. Serving as a symbol of that kingdom will endure forever. As previously noted, Solomon had not been born yet, but God promised that his dynasty would not be cut off. In ancient times, such a promise was very comforting because assassinations occurred frequently. Without the protection of God, no ruler could be sure his line of descendants would survive very long. God said that David's line, his kingdom, and his throne would not merely last for a long time, but forever. The only way such a promise could be fulfilled literally was for the eternal son, Israel Messiah, to sit on the throne of David. Someday, Jesus will do just that, and you can find that in Luke 1, verses 31 through 33. Jeconian, also called Jeconai and Conai, according to God's word, would be the last of Solomon's descendants to sit upon the David throne, yet Solomon's royal authority or the throne of his kingdom would endure. And you could find that in First Chronicles three, chapter three, verse sixteen, and Jeremiah 20 chapter 22 verse 30 and also Jeremiah 24 verse 1. One might ask then how could one of David's descendants reign over the future kingdom if he could not be descended from Solomon but still need the royal authority of Solomon's lineage. Jesus the ultimate fulfillment of David's convent solved this dilemma in a unique way and you can find that in Luke first chapter 1 verses 32 through 33 though through Mary Jesus was a physical descendant of David and you can find that in Revelations chapter 22 verse 16 through Nathan another son of David and you can also find that in Luke chapter 3 verse 31 as Solomon had not been selected king, Nathan had the right to be king. Through his legal guardian, Joseph, a descendant of Solomon. And you could find that in Matthew 1, verse 6, and also verse 16. Jesus received the authority to rule. So in conclusion, David had good intentions and a noble ambition. He wanted to build God a house. However, God revealed that he didn't need a house from David. Instead, he intended to establish the house of David, though through his yet-to-be-born son Solomon. The convent he made with David 
would not be nullified. It was a convent with eternal ramifications. A portion of this convent is yet to be fulfilled. Humans make promises they cannot or will not keep. It inspires worship when we realize that our God is totally capable of keeping every promise he ever made. The promise made to David will be fulfilled in their totality. And this concludes our lesson for this week. Thank you.